You have made it to season four of the Not Neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and season four is all about connection, connection to self, connection to our community, and continued growth, and I truly believe it's only up from here. But even still, it's good to be prepared, so buckle your safety belts, hold on tight. It may still be a bumpy ride, but it feels really good to know where we're headed. Before we start, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it, because you probably know by now, episodes come whenever the feeling strikes. So you never know when they're coming. I don't know when they're coming. You don't know when they're coming. So subscribe so you get a notification. That's all I have to say. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm back. It's been a really long time. It's a whole different year than I last recorded an episode. Very interesting. Um, my last, okay, so let me just level with you guys. I do not have very good working memory or general memory at all. So like, it's really funny when, when you reach out to me about something specific in a specific episode, I just record these and then I probably typical with a lot of autistic adults. Like I just, it's gone. Like, I don't even remember what I said. I don't know what I talked about. I probably repeat myself. If you're listening, like I do get info from people that they binge watch or binge watch. What am I talking about? They binge listen. Like once they kind of get hooked, they listen like within a couple of days to all the episodes, which isn't that hard to do. I've been doing this podcast for years and there isn't that many episodes because I uh, am not neurotypical. <laughs> I just have a really hard time sticking to stuff as much as I want to. But yeah, once it's out there in the world on the podcast, um, I, I really never go back and listen to these and it's just gone forever. So it looks like my last episode was August of 2021, um, which is months ago, and it looked kind of negative. So I don't even remember like what was going on then or what I was talking about. It, it was obviously titled The Turbulence, um, which is a real thing that I experience and all the ups and downs and all of that. So I'm pretty sure I did mention that I was going back into the workforce. And also, I don't know if I've mentioned it here or on social media or whatever. It's not an easy thing to do to go back into the workforce or to go into a new position or a new job when you, I mean, especially late diagnosed, right? I mean, it can't be easy for anybody depending what the situation is. Um, whether you struggle with anxiety on top of everything else you may be struggling with, it's just one of those things where you just never really know how it's going to play out until it plays out. So it's really hard to prepare. And if you're a preparer like me, it's very anxiety inducing, um, which I'm probably repeating myself from the last episode, but, uh, I just wanted to give you an update and kind of talk about 
my work experiences over the past few to six months, however long it's been, and um, some negative, mostly good for the most part. I'm happy to report. I cannot tell you what a gift it is to be older, to be like the oldest one in the room, to have the most life experience. Um, it's something that I definitely like didn't want as a kid. I'm like, you know, I don't really want to get older. Um, but the the experiences, whether good or bad, is what I go off of now, right? Like my learning experiences, what I've learned over the years. I started working at age 14. Um, at the time in the 90s, you could be very young, 14, 15, and get a job. Now it's very different. It's kind of sad because it was really good for me to get out there and start having something to do. Uh, part of that is my ADHD because I was just very bored in the summer. I wasn't one of those kids that worked throughout the school year for the most part. Um, I definitely could not handle um, school and work as a kid. That was very hard. School was hard enough for me um, and a big struggle. So that, but in the summer, I was bored, so, so, so bored. And I actually enjoyed working. But if the job didn't work out, fight or flight set in. I had zero coping skills. This is something that stuff, I've talked about this. I know I've talked about this on the podcast, like just up and quitting jobs, not talking to anybody. No one even know, knowing what happened to me. I know it sounds terrible, but you guys know I'm real with you here. Um, and just as uh, autistic toddlers are known to do, it's called elopement. That is something which I did as a kid. Um, elopement is that urge to just go, leave the room, leave your parents, leave your teacher, leave the situation. Sometimes it's not always a stress response, but often it's a response to anxiety and stress. Um, sometimes it can be a form of sensory seeking. So you're just so bored. You got to get out of there. The, like the, the sensory seeking that you need at that moment is so overwhelming that you just take off, okay? That's what is clinically called elopement. It is definitely in the same um, vein as fight or flight. So basically, it's your body assessing stress, anxiety, or some sort of seeking behavior. And uh, oftentimes, kids without any type of therapy or, or adults, honestly, or any type of coping skills, um, they don't have the ability to calm themselves down enough and weigh the, the situation. And so they just take off, right? So that's just something that I have always struggled with. I was that kid. I was actually that kid that it was very dangerous. A, a lot of the times, um, and, and I just want to point out too that this is not an indicator of functioning. I think a lot of the times, um, and, and I hate to go to the functioning labels thing like I always do, but a lot of the time elopement is very much um, an educational factor uh, really with what 
the clinical medical model considers low functioning autistic people. And I just want to point out that I, um, while I myself would classify myself as um, middle, like level two, or I don't know, what, not high functioning, um, and, and have never really been, I think I faked high functioning really well, and that did not work out for me, but I've never actually been, if we're going to do labels, okay, which I don't really agree with, but um, it's, it's something that I think is when a kid comes in and gets a diagnosis for autism and they are classified as, quote, high functioning, end quote, this is not something that comes up, but this is a very real thing across all functioning levels. And, and I think it comes down to more stress response. Um, probably this is more of an indicator. I'm not a doctor, first of all. Let's just throw that out there. And I have zero medical experience. I have zero medical training or any type of clinical psychological training. Um, but I am a research nerd and um, have probably read more research um, papers and articles, uh, published research articles and things like that, probably more so than a lot of doctors, because it's just been years and years of reading ADHD and autism articles. I'm not saying that I even fully understand all of them or anything, but anyway, that's my disclaimer. Um, elopement, in my opinion, is probably more tied to home life as a child. And more so than functioning or certain attributes that you may have, because one thing that elopement, especially in, in childhood, is related to is stress response. And if you have a high level of stress in the home, it's very possible that you develop and elopement. And I'm not saying if you're a parent and your kid elopes, I am not saying that their kid, your kid is doing that because of you. Um, and I always like to throw that out there as well, because I, I, I never want to come across as saying that like your child is struggling because of you, because I mean, that may be the case, but I don't know you. And I don't want you to jump there either because, um, well, here's a great example. I have three autistic kids and they've all obviously had the same or very similar home life. And all three of them are completely different. And they all have very different stress responses. And I do have one child out of the three that was an eloper big time, just like me. So for maybe not obviously always tied to elopement, uh, I'm sorry, to stress response or more heightened stress in the home. Um and also, I'm going to be real with you, is my home really peaceful and uh, low stress? No. <laughs> like, whose home is peaceful and low stress? I would love to come over and talk to you and figure out, like, what the heck you're doing. I mean, obviously, you're just better at adulting than I am. But anyway, um, so once again, I'm not saying, like, if your kid elopes, you're abusive. What I'm saying is, they just need to learn the right coping skills so it doesn't continue into adulthood. And that's really have to, how you have to think of a lot of this stuff. Um, I think parents can be really down on themselves about those kind of hard traits, which eloping can be very dangerous. It's actually the reason 
a lot of autistic kids are either seriously injured or worse in childhood. Um, the, one of the number one causes of death of autistic children is accidental drowning. And those are often highly related to elopement. It's not that the kids just weren't being watched or, or something uh, while they were swimming. It's actually that they got away. Um, they eloped. They snuck somewhere or something. Um, and so that's why I say it's it's something that needs to be addressed. But even more is that if you are never taught a coping skill for it, it, forms of it will remain forever. In my case, I was a huge eloper. I ran off. I got into many dangerous situations as a kid. Things that I think back on, and by the way, I did not have a good home life, very stressful household, um, very neglectful, and often abusive. So Trigger warning for anyone. I'm sorry about that. I should have said that ahead of time. Um, not going to give any specifics here, but my point being is that um, a lot of the elopement was unnecessary and things could have been done a little better in my case. Um, for instance, my younger child, my youngest child actually, that uh, that used to elope um, really bad she never got away from us. Um, and I think it's because at a very young age when she, like the second she could walk, she would take off just like me. I was the same way. And, um, it didn't always matter. Like it wasn't always a stressful situation. It was just like, I, I think a lot of it was sensory seeking just on the go. Let's go. Let's find something like to interest me or something. I don't know what it was, but it was like, go away, mom. Like I'm good on my own. But I think because I remembered back to my childhood and all of these situations that could have turned dangerous or deadly, it was always on my radar. Like the second it started happening, I remember having a conversation with my husband, like we got to watch her. We have to put locks on whatever doors because she was the type of kid that was like jiggling doorknobs and trying, like if she could have escaped out of our house, she would have. And that's something anyone who has kids knows that like a toddler can escape like really quick. It's it's scary. And you're lucky if you have kids that never try to escape because it's really scary. And I live in a major city. Um, so there's immediate danger right outside the door, meaning like cars coming fast and other really scary things. So it's one of those things that needs to be looked at and just because they get better at it when they get older those coping skills need to be learned because it looks different in my case it was one of those things that got better but i was the kid who faked being sick so i didn't have to go to school often i mean like all the time i mean every kid might try that at some point but while I was at school, I was coming up with any reason to get out of the class. I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go to the nurse. Um, I got to do something. Like that is elopement. If you are a kid constantly at any stage of their childhood needs to get out of the room or they're, and it's like this need, like they just got to go, that's elopement. They need to be taught a coping skill um, or how to handle the stress or something. They need help there. And for me, so as I was growing up, that's what it looked like in school. 
And then eventually, as I continued to grow and never learned any coping skills or stress response skills, I ended up starting to do that at work. And when you're an adult on your own and you're like, I got to get out of here and you have no skills, that's just job abandonment. Okay. So that's it. Um, so what did I do to learn how to handle it? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I wish I had like a suggestion. I You could easily Google search right now and find tons of coping skills for elopement for, for kids. There's a lot of therapy and, you know, people who handle that, that have tons of free blogs online that can give you tips and tricks. What you can't find is how to teach these skills in adulthood. Maybe you can, but I've looked and I haven't found anything. Um, by the time I realized that that was elopement, it was something that I got better at. For me, I would say, I, I don't know like exactly what I did to do that. So it's hard for me to like give you advice, but I think what I tried to do is um, like therapy tech, like cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy techniques, um, like just taking a pause, thinking about the situation, that understanding that this is this moment, it's not forever, like typical depression, anxiety type CBT responses. I think that's probably what helped me the most. Um, like in my head, instead of like, I gotta, I gotta go. It was like, I gotta get through the day. So it's like mindset responses. I just got to get through this day. I'm going to go home. I'll feel better tomorrow. You know, like I won't feel the same tomorrow. Like that's what I tell myself a lot because I still struggle with a lot of techniques and skills that are needed for daily work life balance. So I just try to take myself and my emotions out of situations a lot of the time to cope. Um, that's what's helped me. But it's something that I still struggle with. So one thing that now at age 37 in the workforce that helps me um, is trying to find a job with flexibility. So um, somewhere where I don't have to be around the same people all the time. So it's not like office nine to five, you're at your desk. That can be really overwhelming for me. Um, and if I am able to predominantly set my schedule, obviously like I have deadlines and things like that, but if I'm at a place where I can do some of my work at home or I'm in a position where I can be somewhere, if I feel that like fight or flight response and I can go home and keep working. So it's like, I almost feel like I've escaped even if I haven't actually, like those are things that really help. And that is one thing I really looked for for myself when I went back into the workforce. So what do you do if you took a long break from work or you hate your job and you're trying to find something new and you are looking for or, or say you hit burnout at a job and you had no choice. You hit major, like real levels of burnout, clinical burnout. You cannot go to work anymore. You are depressed. You are anxious. You can barely get out of bed. F say you are out of that and you've gotten better. Hopefully you had someone there to help you and support you during that time. I went through that last year. I talked about it a lot. Actually, it might have been two years ago. What year is it? It's 2022. I don't even know when anything happened. I actually think it was 2020 that I did the really bad burnout with all the crazy stuff going on in 2020. Um, 
But what do you do when you're looking to get back at it? You know what you need. Um, you have to know what to look for. Of course, not everyone has that luxury. I understand that. I've been there. I probably haven't been everywhere that you've been, but I've been there where I'm poor. I have to just accept whatever comes my way and I don't really have a choice. Hopefully you're not there. That really sucks. Um, but if you can, you should be thinking about what do you need out of a job? If you're someone who has elopement issues, you should be looking at some sort of flexible schedule. A nine to five desk job with a lot of demands probably isn't good for you. Um, it's just things to think about. That's things that I was thinking about. Like, what do you need? Do you need accommodations? Don't try to go with a company uh, like a giant corporation if you need a lot of um accommodations that is known for not being good at that, right? I mean, of course, if you are stuck and you need money coming in, take that job and then continue trying to find something else in the meantime. Um, but it's one of those things that I really look for. So I went back into an industry that I had done before, before I owned my own business, which I totally burn out on. And I think I told you in the last podcast, my husband was like, okay, all the kids are in school five days a week. So are you going to go back to work? <laughs> and I was like, fine. But anyway, um, I'm actually happy I did it. Um, I'm happy he pushed me. I found a really good position really way quicker than I thought because the job market is crazy. I don't know what everyone is doing right now, but um, it's a employees market. I mean, like you can pretty much apply to a lot of different industries and kind of take your pick of job offers right now. At least um, that's what I'm seeing in my area. Each job market is different, but yeah, I don't know what everyone's doing. But um, so I went back into that industry and uh, I just want to point out that the first job didn't work out. I am actually at the second position. Um, <laughs> It didn't work out. Uh, how am I going to word this? So I liked the actual position. I liked the actual work. It was just the incompetence that I couldn't handle of the company. Um, if you're autistic, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is so hard to work for people who either don't care, um, don't do anything, work and put everything on you, or are just running a company into the ground like willingly and like not taking any advice or caring. Like that's something that just really bothers me. I'm sure it bothers you. I, I feel like it would bother anybody, right? Um, but some people just have this skill where they can just like not care. Like they're they're good. They're like, whatever. I just come in and I clock in and I clock out and I do my work and I go home. I don't care what the owner's doing. I'm just not that person. I'm a vibe person. If the vibe is who gives a crap? That's a frustrating vibe for me at work. I, I want people to care because what's the point of going to work if nobody cares? And I wish I wasn't like this. I wish I could just go do whatever and not be phased by anyone around me, but that's not who I am. Once again, that is something that you should be aware of. And 
Another thing is it's really hard to gauge that in an interview. You can ask someone a question and just like you put your best foot forward when you're interviewing to work for a company, the company does the same thing. They don't tell you all the crap that's going on behind the scenes or why they really hired you or what kind of negligence is happening that that makes like them not be able to keep anybody and why you're there. Um, you hear the fluff, right? So I took the job and... I realized really quickly that it was probably wasn't going to work out, but I really tried to make it work. Um, I had one thing I loved is I had a hundred percent flexibility. Um, you basically got like assigned tasks and you got to decide how you did it. So it's an industry that I already had already been in. That's why they hired me. It wasn't hard to train me or anything like that. So I really appreciated the flexibility. There was never a time that I had to be anywhere. I could kind of set my own schedule. I really liked that. Um, everything was not too far from my house, but it didn't work out. And I knew it. And I found something else in the meantime. Um, I was only there about, um, I don't know, four months, I think I worked there un until I just really couldn't take it anymore. And I found another position. Well, I've been at my new position in the same industry with a different company for about four weeks. And I really love it. I, you know, sometimes it takes just trying companies out. And I hate that it's kind of frowned upon. Like if you put on your resume that you tried a bunch of companies out and it didn't work out, they might think you're flighty or, or fake or, or something, which in some cases might be the case, but it's also really like messed up that you're looked down upon for really like trying out what works for you because I'm a person that I don't know what works for me. I have to try it out. And I guess neurotypicals, I don't know. Do they just know what they want? all the time and they just do it and everything, you know, whatever they can just get through anything. I don't know. That's not me. Like, I don't know how it's going to go at a new job until it's going really great or sucking. But one thing I am getting better at is the ability to advocate for myself, which literally only comes with practice and putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations, which parents, please teach your kids how to advocate for for themselves at an early age. It's really hard, especially if you have a kid with any type of social anxiety. It's really hard. I get it. I'm going through this with my son right now. Um, the, the first week of school this year, for instance, my son has a 504 and he's getting older. He's getting in middle school. Um, so I told him first day, I said, I want you to go into school Here's a copy of your 504, and I want you to talk about your 504 with every one of your teachers because he's in middle school now. He is, you know, he has a bunch of teachers, um, which, yeah, it's really overwhelming. But I told him, if you want or need someone to help you, you will have to be the one to start the dialogue, uh, especially with a 504, y'all. 504s like teachers are just like la di da di da. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that on the 504. You know, so it's it's something where the parents really got to be on top of 504s. It is not like an IEP, which you still have to be on top of, but it's even less uh, legal, I should say. Um, it's it's just teachers, the mainstream teachers handling 504s. So I told them, you know, like 
you got to start learning how to talk about the support and the help you need. Um, he still has a hard time doing it with me and I'm his like safe space. Like I'm, he is most comfortable with me for the most part with most things. But when, when the, the kid is in the weeds, he comes to me, um, and he still struggles with it with me. So you can imagine he's like freaking out about it. And he literally was like, mom, mom, I can't do it. Mom, I just can't do it. So I'm not at school with him. I can't make him do it. So what I did was I told his school counselor and I said, I need you to make him do it. And she's like, you know what? I think that's a great idea. And she did it with him. I can't do it with him. Um, and he just was gonna, he was either gonna not do it and say he did, which can't blame the kid. I've been there. I'm, I was that kind of kid. Um, but he wasn't, he was so sweet. He told me he was just like, mom, literally, I, I, I can't do it. And it was a few days in, I wanted him to do it his first day. Mom, I just can't. And so do you just give up and say, whatever, don't do it? No, you get someone else involved that can make him do it because he has to. If he doesn't start doing this now and getting this experience, it is so much harder to do it as an adult. I know because that's me. I did not start advocating for myself at all until my mid-30s. I only have two or three or four years of experience in advocating for myself. I started working at 14, obviously did all of middle school, high school on my own, but we're talking years and years and years and years and years and years of missed opportunities and learning experiences and ways to learn skills that I so desperately needed as an adult. So start your kids young, get them talking about their disabilities. Same thing for you. When you need accommodations, first of all, medically in the workforce, you don't legally have to disclose what's going on. Um, now, it helps if you have a medical diagnosis and say, um, say you're dyslexic and you need some sort of visual help at work. If you just randomly ask for visual help and you got nothing to back it up, of course, it's going to be hard. But for certain things, especially with larger corporations, you don't actually have to divulge your personal medical info to get that help, but it helps. So whatever you're comfortable with, but just start small, start making relationships with coworkers or HR or, um, your boss or whoever you're, whoever can get you the accommodations that you need. You don't have to start off saying, um, I need this. I can't work if I have it, you know, start off small saying like, Hey, could you give me information on this? I think this would really help me do my job. I would just love to know the process. Um, you might already know the process, but also just remember that, especially like neurotypicals, they need all that fluff in there. They need to feel like you're asking them for some sort of help or you're like collaborating together. The second it's like the feeling of me versus you, I don't know if you've noticed, but I sure have. They just shut down and then nobody helps you out with anything. So it's just really important that you are thinking about these things. And this is something that never goes away. You will, should, you should advocate for yourself 
forever. That never stops. Normal, quote, people and well-developed households and all of that, these are things that kids are taught at a very young age. Um, The thing is, it's not like, so let's talk about like developmentally. I don't think like neurotypical parents are like, you are going to go do this. You need help with this. The thing is, it's just developmentally, we all develop different and the kids with ADHD or autism and all of that kind of stuff just have a harder time sometimes, depending who you are, learning that stuff. And they need that extra push and that help. Um, A lot of it has to do with picking up on social cues. So I mean, it's not that they need help learning it necessarily. It's not like a learning thing. It's a, I didn't even know I needed that, right? Like so many of my issues was just like, oh, that would have been good if I learned that. I had no idea. And if you are an autistic adult, you probably had autistic parents, neurodivergent parents who may have also, it's just like a long line of like, oh crap, we didn't even know, right? Like think about your parents when they found out that you got an autism diagnosis in your 20s, 30s, 40s. What was their reaction? You know, it was just like, what? Really? Like, or no, really? Like, what? We didn't even know. Oh, it was different time back then. <laughs> um, but same thing with you with your kids or you as a kid. You don't know what you don't know. So it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. And I could sit and talk about this with you forever but I'm not going to do that. So maybe we'll just have to make a part two because we're going on a long time here. But, um, and I try to keep these like short and simple. I've had other people be like, your episode should be longer. I haven't got that, not a majority, but, uh, I'm always kind of looking out for my ADHDers that listen, they don't want a long episode. They want it straight into the point. This episode was a little ranty, but let's recap real quick. So elopement, what is it? It is that need from a child or an adult to get out of a situation. I got to go. Uh, they just run off. They escape. They they actually like purposefully sneak to get away with whoever is, is supposed to be watching them, their teacher, their parents. Um, not necessarily them being sneaky and being bad, it's it's a stress response typically or a sensory seeking response. Like I just got to go find something that's going to pique my interest or something. So that is something that needs to be taught coping skills for um, because very often, especially as a kid, it leads to dangerous circumstances. And let's be real, as a teenager and an adult, it also leads to dangerous circumstances. Um, foregoing your job just because of an uncomfortable feeling is not good for you. Okay. I know that because I've done it a million times. It's not good for you. It brings so much extra stress into your life that could have been avoided. It's, it's never good. Or like you're missing valuable class time or, you know, things like that. So it's something that is not good for you that it never turns around and like ends up in a good thing. So it's important to know what elopement is and what it looks like from kids into adulthood because it looks very different. Um, Wait, you want to know a real great like elopement thing is like the Irish goodbye. Do you know what that is? Like I always think, I think about the people who I've known in my life that do the Irish goodbye, which is just like 
that means like you're someone who's at a gathering or a party and you just leave without saying goodbye to anybody. Like, you're like, where did that person go? Um, that is totally anecdotally, in my opinion, totally adult elopement. You're like, I just got to go. I can't handle saying bye to everyone. Like, just see ya. Right. So think about that. Everyone I've known that, that does that, like definitely in my opinion, is probably neurodivergent. So it's something to think about too. If you Irish goodbye all the time and you just leave places as an adult, you probably have elopement issues that you never learned coping skills for. Um, sorry, I'm calling you out, but it's just the way it is. And when you're looking to get back into the workforce or start a new job, think about what you want. What do you need? What are you looking for? What kind of help and accommodations do you need at work? Um, look for a company that might be known to give it. The The job market is crazy with this great resignation that we've gone through. There's every company everywhere seems to be hiring right now. So now's your chance to maybe look for a better situation. The problem is you never really know if it is because the grass is always greener. But if you know what you need, it's going to make the situation a lot better. And as far as accommodations, practice makes perfect. You just got to put yourself out there and you got to do it with a collaborative spirit. You have to bring it to HR or your boss or somebody else um, asking for help. Kind of put them in the driver's seat. Give them all that fluff. Hey, this is what I think I need. What do you think about that? Is this something that we're going to be able to do? So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank my listeners that have been really loyal over the last few years um, and have been okay with my very large chunks of time off from this, even though I don't want to. It's also just really hard for me to talk about things when I just don't even know what I want to talk about. So yeah, but you guys get me, don't you? You get it. Thanks for still being here. I really appreciate it. If you haven't yet subscribed to this channel, this podcast, so that you are updated when new episodes come your way, because as you know, it could be totally sporadic. Who knows when the hell a new episode is coming? I don't. (laughs) So subscribe so you're updated. Have a great rest of your day, week, month, and I will see you soon. Let's continue this discussion though. So stay tuned.